if you are able to say, I can stay out of politics right. <laughs> and I don't have to take sides right. and there, you know, there's problems on both sides. Like if you can take that view, then that indicates that, that the results of the political process will not impact your life in a drastic way. Yeah, 100%. You can live with the results and pretty much go about your business. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 12 of the Dig News Streams podcast. I'm your host, Dave Capozzi, and on the podcast this week, I have T.C. Moore. T.C. is the pastor at Roots Covenant Church in the Twin Cities, and he is a dear old friend of mine going back to our early days in seminary in our mid-20s. T.C.'s just had a really profound impact on my life, and we talk a lot about that on this podcast We also talk a lot about what TC calls the Jesus way, the way of nonviolent resistance. Uh, I think he gives a really great explanation for what this means and is a really great advocate for this way of thinking. I really think that you'll find it to be compelling, enjoyable, and at least you'll hear his passion coming through and understand how much it's influenced his life uh, and the people around him. Um, As usual, if you would like to keep up with this podcast, you can follow on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Dig New Streams Podcast. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with TC Moore. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm gonna yeah. have to. Okay, ready? I'm gonna have to politely disagree. Well, I would rather that you uh, angrily disagree. So, ready? Okay. So, my, I remember my very first class at, at CUME was history with one of our favorite Calvinist professors. Yes. I, I so I walked in. I knew nothing, absolutely nothing, other Curry. than. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we not supposed to say his name? I don't know. Doctor Curry. um people will have to research on their own who he is yeah um i walked in know nothing other than what i had grown up learning in church right so i also went to a christian college christian high school but still not academically so i walk into this history class in january of 2007 i think and i'm just like feeling a little lost the room is pretty full and I'm just in my own head. And then like the teacher's teaching and I'm just absorbing it all. Cause I'm like, this is the professor. He knows what he's talking about. And then there's this, this young white kid in the back out of like, mostly not, not, we were like the only two white people in the class. Yeah. And I love that. I love that about Cume. Of course. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I like, he said something about, I forget who it was at this point, but it was a social gospel person. It was one of the, uh, sort of first social gospel people. And he said something about the guy having a low- Rauschenbusch or something like that. One of them, yeah. yeah. And he had said something about the guy having a low Christology with, which for those listening that don't know what that means, it just means like a low view of Jesus and his- Messiah. Oh, like, he must've been talking about Schleiermacher. That's who it was. It was Schleiermacher. Yeah. I love- Yeah, people always <laughs> say that about Schleiermacher. Yeah, I love that you're already saying that. So this is my experience of TC. You- all of a sudden you get animated (laughs) (laughs) and you're, I look like you're, you're wearing a hood. You look 
not that dissimilar from what it's like now. <laughs> I haven't changed that yeah. much. <laughs> and and I'm like, who is this kid that's arguing with the professor? Like, and you were like, not just going, you weren't, weren't just arguing with him like belligerently. You were going toe to toe. And I was so blown away that I remember being like, I have to meet him. So at the break, when they were like, I'll go take a lunch break because the classes were like three, four hours long. I went up to you and I'm like, can, can you teach me, please? <laughs> who are, who are you? Who are you? That is not what happened, but yeah. That's, well, I do a, remember arguing with Curry a lot because <laughs> he would make real like strange blanket statements about historical figures. And I'd be like, are you serious right now? I remember when he said Calvin was the theologian of the heart. Oh, okay. and I was like, tell that to Severitus. I mean, like, <laughs> seriously, are we just gonna, <laughs> are we just gonna paper over like the huge swaths of problems with people and just be like, that guy's overall pretty cool. That's like saying that that David was like a soft-hearted person who never did any like the, the thing we right. internalized, right? Right. Like this oh, yeah. guy, this guy that actually participated in the murder of people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Soft-hearted theologian. Right. Uh, but I remember we went to Stashes, which was which is yes, no, no oh, longer Stashes so much, and it's no longer there. But that became a ritual that during every break, I would follow you to stashes while you'd be debating some other classmate about <laughs> usually Ben Ray, usually Ben Ray <laughs> or Tim Colgrove. And like mm-hmm. you guys would just be going at it and I would just listen and soak it all up. Like I honestly felt like I learned so much more just from hearing you debate than I did in any class, you know, and the, fir- the first group that you like that you started to form with Tim really was the um, tanks to tractors one? That, tanks to tractors, love yes, that group. Yes, yeah. which which for me was historic. Really, <laughs> we would we would meet at MJ O'Connor's in Boston for on Monday nights to drink beer and talk about pacifism. Mm, good, those are the good old days, man. I love this nostalgia. <laughs> this is delicious nostalgia. I, I thought so. So tell me, are you still a pacifist? Would you still describe yourself that way? Oh, a hundred percent. Oh yeah, I think I'm more of a pacifist now than I Ooh. was back then. Okay, because I think more. I've now had much more time to nuance my views and understand the other side better. To be honest, really, because back then it was very, I think it was very reactionary. I think I was just, I just, got, I was really fed up with right wing militarism. Yeah, and yeah. like just the warmongering of of like my childhood and. I was like, this is not the way of Jesus. And I was just like, I was convicted that like, this is not what Jesus would want. Yeah. And now I have more sympathy for, you know what? There's a really good, here's, here's, here's what I'm talking about. Yeah. There's a really good chapter in Drew Hart's book, um, uh, Who Will Be a Witness? Hmm. Drew Hart is a, is, is a self-described Anablacktivist. Yeah, right. he's a black neo Anabaptist. He's not part of a traditional Anabaptist denomination, yeah. but he has Anabaptist theology. Yeah, so he's a neo Anabaptist, and he teaches at Messiah. Hmm. And I read his book with a group of men in my church, and um, there's a chapter called um, "Liberating Barabbas," hmm. Hmm. and it talks about how we have homiletically crucified Barabbas. I'm not <laughs> quoting him. I'm just paraphrasing, yeah. but, yeah. but basically we've, we've turned Barabbas into this like monster. Right. Barabbas is this, like this, like serial killer who just like thrived on violence 
And, and no, like actually he was a freedom fighter. Yeah. He was right. somebody fighting for his people against an oppressive regime, like a militaristic right. occupation of his people. Yeah. And like, like basically Drew's a pacifist and Drew's like, I get it. Yes. Drew's like, right. That like, that makes sense. Okay, like that- he's not this monster that we can just vilify and, and scapegoat and write off mm. as this like anti-Jesus. Yeah. Jesus and Barabbas had a lot in common. That's really interesting that you bring up for, for two, two things, for those who don't know a couple of the terms that you've expressed. Anabaptists were a group that came about during the Reformation, while, while some people like Martin Luther and John Calvin were co-mingling with the government and still just trying to reform just a little bit. The, oh, Anabap- yeah. the Anabaptists were really this group that were like, no, we're not going to pledge allegiance to any earthly government. The kingdom of God is the only place we pledge our allegiance. Right. Je- Jesus is our Lord, right? Our, our right. only whatever it was, chancellor, you name the ruler back then. Yeah. So that's the Anabaptist. And then Barabbas is the guy that people shouted out, give me Barabbas and then yes. take put Jesus up on the cross instead. Right. But I think that's a really interesting thing to point out that as a pacifist, that you can resonate with the, the revolutionary, yes. right? Because I think a lot of people mistake that. Like that there seems to be no connection between the two. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So guys like Drew um, are in this tension between the historic African-American tradition in America, right? Right. And the historic Anabaptist tradition. And they're, they're seeing a resonance. Mm. They're seeing a liberating theme and an, and a alternative society theme that goes on in both traditions, right? Yes. So the black church has had to form an alternative society because of racism, right? They have had to be their own be all end all society because the broader society has oppressed, persecuted and discriminated against them. right? Right. Same thing with the Anabaptists. Yes. Right. Anabaptists were marginalized, not just by, by whatever secular authorities there were, but by the church. Exactly. By the magisterial reformers, by the Lutherans, by the reformed. Right. You know, they were on the side of government. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so in these two traditions, Drew sees a, a, a merger or a crossover or at least resonance. Hmm. And he sees it He sees it in the revolutionary nature of the Jesus movement, the yeah. Jesus way. Yeah. The Jesus way is a radical departure from any form of government that we might set up on earth. Right. Jesus said, my kingdom is not the kind of kingdom that grows in this world. That's mm. N.T. Wright's translation of it. Uh, you might've heard it as like, my kingdom's not of this world, but yeah. that gives a kind of otherworldly sense. Yeah. That's like, not really like, meant by Jesus. Like he's from Mars or something. Like right. That. Yeah. He's yeah, not yeah. saying, he's not saying my kingdom is up in the clouds and you're down here on earth, so we're different. He's yeah. saying, my kingdom is of an, of an entirely different sort. Yeah, It's a completely different kind of kingdom. Yeah. You've never seen this kind of kingdom before because all the kingdoms that grow in this world are basically predicated on violence. Mm, right, yes, that's really so, good. So Drew Hart sees Jesus as a revolutionary. <laughs> yeah. And I agree with him, 100%. Yeah. Jesus was a revolutionary. He just yeah. wasn't a violent revolutionary. right. And it's interesting because the the modern 
application of Anabaptism that many people would be familiar with today that they might not know are Anabaptists would be, you know, uh, Amish or Mennonite. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you um, think of the Amish, when you think of Anabaptist, that's not the whole of it. Yeah. But that, for those who have no understanding of that tradition, that's where they sort of find their most common application today. So Drew in his writings and the way that I've heard him speak is very much revolutionary in the way that he's yeah. mingled yeah. sort of the African-American experience with that traditional rev revolutionary experience of Anna. Anabaptists who were killed by both Catholics and Protestants back during right. the Reformation. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I can't recommend his work uh, highly enough. Mm. Excellent stuff. His first book was called The Troubles I've Seen. Yeah. Which is about racism in the uh, white evangelical world that right. he's experienced. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I'm, I'm just realizing now I, I planned on talking about 30 other things with you on top of this, but I think I want to stay on this for a while. Um, <laughs> Because, because it, it connects more to our experience together at CUME, that we bumped up against nothing, like the thing that we bumped up against the most in terms of resistance was conversations about Jesus and nonviolence. Yeah, that's true. You know, we, I think I remember one specific time, I'm not sure if you were there, but our friend Tim was called out by some person that was a military member or a chaplain or something for wearing an upside down American flag or something. We were having conversations and debates all the time. Right. About, about allegiance mm -hmm. and, and about nonviolence. Yeah. What is your, I mean, other than the conversations we had at MJ O'Connor's, like what are some experiences that you remember around that? Yeah, I do remember there being like a strong presence of like military chaplains and yes. a strong presence of patriotic conservatives. Yeah. I got chewed out once by the TA of a class because I think Barack Obama came up in some conversation and I guess I implied that I was going to vote for him or something like that. <laughs> and this, you know, this brought on like a 45 minute lecture about, you know, abortion and gay rights and wow. just all the kind of the usual suspects right yes yes <laughs> and at the end of it i was not persuaded one bit i was like i think you don't understand the bigger picture and mm. and honestly that was a journey for me too i mean yeah. I, I didn't i didn't start out there right um when i came to faith uh the political philosophy that i inherited from the church where i came to faith was that republicans were the christian party and democrats were the party of demons basically yeah. you know just Same. like very, you know, very cut and dry. Yes. And it was all about those two, those two issues, gay rights right. and, um, and abortion. So yeah. has been for as long as both of us can remember, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So that was, um, that was my initial, you know, kind of inherited political philosophy, but I'll tell you where the, where the turning point happened for me, because I, I can pinpoint it. Hmm. Um, when I was living in New Orleans, and I was serving at a faith-based community center, we took a group of teens from this neighborhood called Hollygrove hmm. to uh, a, a kids camp, a youth camp in Missouri called Kids Across America, KAA. And it's like the best kids camp for, for urban youth. Like, it's just, it's amazing. It's a really good camp. It's still around? I believe so. I mean, yeah. I haven't been there in 15 years, but, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but it was such a, it was such a powerful experience. And hmm. I was one of, if not the only white Kaleo, they call them, which is like, I don't even remember what kaleo means. It's a Greek word. What is it? What does kaleo mean? Servant? I'm, I know we were in Greek together. Too. I think it I means remember. servant. 
but they call all the counselors, all the like youth leaders, and they call all the like people that are chaperones, you know, they call them Kaleos. Yeah. So we're in this cabin together. And I think I was the only white, you know, counselor in this cabin. Yeah. And it was a it was a political season. I don't remember who was running. It was either Gore or Kerry was the Democratic you know, nominee for president. Yeah. And everybody was talking about politics, right? Mm. And I was kind of like apolitical or 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 less, you know, just like whatever. Right. Yeah. And I could not believe that all these like really faithful pastors were like thinking about voting Democrat, right? Or talking about voting wow. Democrat. Wow. Wow. And it just was blowing my mind. And so we had some conversations where I was genuinely curious. I mean, I was not combative. I was like, tell me what I'm missing. Like, I'm, wow. I'm clearly not seeing the bigger picture. So like, and that's when the concept of systemic injustice really like landed for me. It's not the first time I ever heard of it. Yeah. It was the first time I realized that like the education system and the healthcare system and the like, I don't know, like name a system. They're yeah. all interconnected. And as they converge on a young woman's life yeah. at a particular point in her, in, in her life when she's pr become pregnant and her future is bleak, like that decision that she makes is not just a personal moral decision. It is the fallout of an entire societal failure. Yeah, right. It's right. not just one person making a bad choice, quote yeah. unquote. Right? Yeah. Yes. And I was like, oh my gosh. So you mean to tell me that actually, if we improve society, <laughs> that would be better for reducing abortions. Go, Go figure. figure. Yeah. And if you actually, I mean, people have studied this. If you actually look at Democratic administrations versus Republican administrations, yes, the, the abortion rate goes down. Right. I, I've, I have heard this as well. It's it, it's true. I mean, you it, can just look at the stats. Isn't that wild? It's funny because that's not that came from me way later the systemic injustice piece, it started for me with nonviolence. Mm. Like, and it was just a concept. It was like, oh my God, Jesus. Yeah, he was about nonviolent direct action, right. you know, revolutionary action. And I, that all those pieces started to come together later for me. But for you, it was before you, we, you know, you ever went to Boston for seminary. Oh yeah. No, I, yeah. I was, I was fresh out of Bible college. Okay. And so this must've been 2003. Yeah. Yeah. It was 2003. Yeah. And then we met about four years later, I was carrying in with me some, some discomfort with that worldview. I had still been in the Republican. I had a George W. Bush sticker on the back of my car. <laughs> I mean, I was that I Did was you really, 100%. When you yeah. got to Cume, you had a George W. Bush bumper um, sticker? When I got to Cume, I think I was starting to become uncomfortable with that idea. Mm, wow. But I was in support of the Iraq 2006? War. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, yeah. I was, I was there and you, and like, that's why you never will are willing to take credit for this stuff, but you definitely helped push me in a very different direction that I, than I was going on. I mean, I, I was do. already leaning that way. And that's why I think like the conversations with you, like listening to your debates, <laughs> just watching you online too. It did a lot. Well, for another me. thing, I'll, I'll say this. Another thing that that's part of my background that makes me a little bit predisposed to um, radical nonviolence as mm. a, as a Christian conviction is gang life. Mm. Because in gang life, you are 
you are committed to a fellowship um, of other men, young men, in which you are radically separate from society. Right. Like you don't even think about the structures of society as having any kind of bearing on your life. Yes. It's like, I am committed to this thing and everything else can burn. Right. I don't care about the law. I don't care about, you know, I don't care about anything. It's like, this is my family. And Mm. if you go against my family, like there's hell to pay. And you grew up in this context Mm. in Chicago. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's where I was initiated, but you know, there was a lot more to that story than, than, than <laughs> yeah. but, 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 my, but my point is that Christians often have this convoluted view of the Christian movement, the Jesus movement is conflated with some other worldly power, right? Mm-hmm. I am an American Christian, right? I right, am right, a, right. I am a German Christian, right? Like yeah. there's this conflation and I'm saying, no, Jesus was pretty radical. Yeah. Jesus was like, I am creating an altogether alternative society. Right. That is, that is not, not to say, I'm not talking about separatism because Jesus engages the powers, right? right. But he engages the powers from place of, I am bringing a wholly other viewpoint. Just a whole different way of operating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. That whole, that whole kingdom movement thing is radically other. So he's not, he's not saying, I want to incrementally improve the empire of Rome. I don't mm. want to reform Rome. Like, like the picture in the scriptures, okay. I mean, the, the, the biblical picture, if you want to get real serious about this, is in Daniel. Yeah. Daniel has this vision of the kingdoms of the world as different components of a statue, right? You mm-hmm. have the gold component, the silver component. I don't know all of them off the top of my head. Yeah. But I remember the feet are clay, right? And the kingdom of God is a mountain hmm. that, that, you know, destroys this, 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 uh, statue. Yeah. Right. The kingdom of God is, is an asteroid. Yeah. Just impacting this statue, yeah. destroying the statue. It's an altogether different way of being in the world. <clears throat> and it's not to say that we don't have a role to play. So this is where, okay. So remember I said earlier how my views have been nuanced. Yeah. So this is where I, I take umbrage with the apolitical neo-Anabaptist. There mm. is a strain, <clears throat> you know, kind of like a virus. There is a strain <laughs> of neo-Anabaptist that says, yes, TC, yes to everything you're ju- you just said. And that's why we don't vote. Right. Or, or that's why we don't protest or that's why we don't take sides, you know? And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. That is not what I'm saying. So, so a a really good example of this is, um, is when there are some white neo-Anabaptist figures who have followings and who have book deals and have written a lots of stuff. And they will make statements like, you know, both sides of the political aisle are equally bad mm-hmm. and we need you to stay out of politics and right. that's not for Christians. Right. And I'm going, no, 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 no. That's not the implication of what I'm saying. Yeah. The implication of what I'm saying is that Jesus' kingdom is so radical that we are called to impact the world with this radical worldview yeah. through the political system, yeah. not, not to get embedded in the political system, not to, not to merge the Jesus movement with the political system, but to absolutely impact 
the political system. So a yeah. great resource for anybody who's interested in this 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 view that I'm I'm espousing right now yeah. Yeah. is the Acts commentary by by Willie James Jennings. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Willie James Jennings acts, acts the, like acts like the Book of Acts in Woo. the new in the New Testament. Yeah. He's got he's got stuff in that book that is. I mean, I, I call it magisterial. Like this is <laughs> this is the stuff that I read yeah. for fun. That other people are like, like this is academic. TC. I'm like, it's not academic. For well, me. this is this is where it's like, devotional. Yeah, where you and I like have always connected. We're uh, Bible nerd, Bible nerddom. You know, like it's, <laughs> yeah. But I like I I love all that, and I want to connect something back where you were talking about gangs. Something really clicked for me. One, I was one of the people that used to espouse don't vote. Like yeah. that's where I went yep. with all of this. And oh, you can, me too. Me too. You, know, you can see where the line will take yeah. you, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I can resonate with that understanding. I'm not there anymore, obviously. Right. Um, but when it comes to gangs, um, I think a bit like, like the mafia too. Anytime the governing bodies don't take care of a particular group right. of people, yeah. they're going to do what they have to do to survive. Exactly. So, so that's what gangs do. That's what the yeah. mafia did yeah. or, or does still in certain places. And ultimately you do find family, you find value. Yeah. And, and that's where people get so confused when someone like, you know, Colin Kaepernick will kneel and be like, I can't submit mm -hmm. to this because there are people that have have shown up for my community. There are people that I would pledge my loyalty to, but it's not, that flag doesn't represent that. Right. And I think that's where uh, the conversation becomes very difficult for people to understand because it's not about, it's not about being combative against a particular system. It's, a, it's saying this, this system has hurt, has done a lot of hurt, uh, yeah. perpetuated a lot of pain and violence and struggle. And we, prefer to pledge our allegiance to one that's about promoting peace and breaking down walls of division yeah. Yeah. you know and and doing that in a way that's nonviolent, that um honors the humanity in all people all that sort yeah. of stuff is not something that people would typically associate with christianity in america yeah the way i the way i would would uh challenge folks who land in that in that place that apolitical place yeah. is I would challenge them to <clears throat> dig a little deeper into power dynamics, mm. particularly around um, groups of people. So I think what did it for me was recognizing that that apolitical position that you can easily arrive at when you have a radical kingdom mm. view is born of a type of privilege. It really is. Yeah. If you are able to say, I can stay out of politics right. <laughs> and I don't have to take sides. Right. And there, you know, there's problems on both sides. Like if you can take that view, then that indicates that, that the results of the political process will not impact your life in a drastic way. Yeah. 100%. And you can live with the results and pretty much go about your business, right? I, like, yes. And that's ultimately what changed my mind. When I started to, to engage in the world in a way that was more impactful and meaningful, all of those privileged positions of, well, I don't have to vote, uh, were cast aside. And the, the truth is, and we do agree on this, that all the political parties are very problematic. Oh, for sure. The issue 
the issue, it becomes um, what I think is beautiful about sort of a third way position, the way that people often talk about this is third way, is that it enables a, like you to zoom out a little bit and look at things a little, right, as much as possible, no one can do this perfectly, a little more objectively, right, you know, and I I think we, we would benefit as a society to do that a little bit more, yes, you know, I don't think, I don't think a follower of Jesus can put any kind of political allegiance before their allegiance to Christ, in other oh. words, every political allegiance, every philosophy, every party position, every platform has to be seen first through the lens of the Jesus way. Yeah. So that's what you mean by zooming out. What you mean yes. is first, we're like 10,000 feet above. We're saying, hey, the Jesus way is the way of peace. Hmm. The Jesus way is the way of justice. Yeah. The Jesus way is the way of 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 um recognizing and seeing injustices in the society at large and being on the side of the marginalized and the oppressed. Now, with that view in mind, with the Jesus way in mind, now I will, I will consider your political platforms. Yeah. I I think that's really helpful. One, the the truth is everyone comes at life with a lens, right? And you talked about why you resonate with nonviolence and revolutionary kinds of thinking because of your upbringing and it's about recognizing the lens that you already come in with so that you can more adequately pay attention to what's going on i find that nowadays it's actually true that every group thinks they're marginalized and oppressed and so right so we've got we've got the group that we come out of which is evangelical christians who think that they're marginalized and oppressed and they think that the Republican party is the party that stands up for those that are marginalized and oppressed, which is obviously Jesus people. <laughs> and yeah, I'm saying that sarcastically I, for anyone listening. But I, but I think that that is, I think that that is reactionary. But, I, it, I, but it is, I think it that, is their view though. Would you agree that that that's what's going on? It is, but I think it's a subsequent view. In other words, first they were confronted with the reality of injustice. And they realized that, oh, if we, if we um, affirm these facts, if we affirm that we are in the majority, if we affirm that we have significant political power, if we agree to these facts, then yeah, it's obvious we're on the wrong side of these issues, right? Yeah. So we will instead deny, 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 and we will make ourselves the victims so that we can have this um, this leverage, right? Yeah. Because they recognized the power of that leverage. They recognized yeah. the power of a people's movement that is fighting a back against oppression, right? They're yes. like, oh, wow. Actually, 100%. Populism, populism is actually really powerful. Yeah. Let's form our own kind of populism. Well, to be clear, we're talking about the leaders of evangelicalism, which is people like Franklin Graham and others. It's not your typical person that you're going to church with on a Sunday morning that's aware of all of that, you know? For sure. Yeah. But I I also think that like that that victim mentality that, um, that, you know, turning the tables and being like, we're actually the persecuted ones. Right. That comes from a place of, of fear and mm. that fear is of losing social capital 
right? Yes. Losing cachet in society, losing leverage in society that once was a given. Right. Right. It's true because the culture wars, I mean, I remember going to college in the late, oh, it was 99, 2000. They were, we read books about the culture wars that had passed as though they were no longer. <laughs> right. Like we are Glad still. Glad that's over. <laughs> <laughs> but I, what I've always, what I latched onto with, you, with the perspective I heard you talking about back in seminary was this like, oh, we don't have to participate in things the same way. You know, we don't have to fight like it's so obvious. It's like, oh, they're going to take this position. They're going to take that position. And we just go at each other. And th it's boring. <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. nothing gets done. And I love I love alternative third way positions that can dig a new path that right. maybe people haven't thought about. You know, it's like it's like saying, actually, we play by a different set of rules. Yeah, we're not going to play this game by the rules that you set yeah. because Jesus gives us a new set of rules. Mm, yeah. And so we're playing like a completely different game. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really appreciate that. That for me was really shifting uh, as someone, you know, it's the closest thing that I can resonate with when people say salvation, you know, yeah. where, where it's like, I was a red blooded American who was like four, you know, if someone said, let's turn a rack into a parking lot, I'd be like, yes, let's do that. To, to like tc moore comes along and starts talking about nonviolence and the way of jesus and and following after not a gentle like lamb holding messiah but like a no. really radical revolutionary figure who was confronting the most powerful empire the world had seen up to that point yeah i i mean i i hate to make it this plain but like dr king showed us what that looks like right yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it seems pretty obvious, but maybe not to everyone. But Dr. King showed us how, how actually um, courageous and how like con confrontational nonviolence can be right. in, in the American context. Obviously, he's not the first person to mount a nonviolent resistance movement. Right. But in America, he was a figurehead for a powerful demonstration of the courage and tenacity and um just plain like power right of a nonviolent resistance right and if you yeah. see that as like lamb holding hippie stuff <laughs> i don't know what to tell you because like because he was getting rocks thrown at him and like you know getting getting shot and killed like right he's a oh. courage he's a courageous leader and if you see jesus like you know you and i remember when um Mark Driscoll was popular and he mm. would said something like, you know, I can't follow a hippie Jesus right. who wears a diaper or something right. like that, you know, like, right. uh, you know, I need a, I need a Jesus who's a prize fighter yes, or something like right. that, you know, you know, I can't, I can't worship a Jesus that I can beat up. You remember like that, that, like, <laughs> oh, she's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we were like, we were like, what, what are you talking <laughs> about? Like who's advocating for, for the wimpy Jesus, right? I, Nobody. I mean, I think what, what I can resonate with is I don't like seeing the statues of Jesus where he's like looking like this really uh, neutered white guy who just, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. hate those. I went to Italy yeah. and I saw them everywhere and they really were agitational to me mm. because, because all I like, I can't picture what Jesus looked like, but all I think is he was probably a pretty rugged looking Jewish, oh, yeah. like Middle Eastern yeah. man. 
And to see him holding lamps, there is a tradition that prefers a gentle Jesus that looks like that. Sure, and sure, for sure. and and I understand the people that experience Jesus yeah. as comforting. He he talks about that, right? Like my yoke is easy, my yes, burdens light, sure. all of those things. But the the thing that inspires revolutions yeah. is a different kind of person. Yeah. Uh, and and nonviolence doesn't mean that you're meek and that you're standing off to the side and just be like, hey, everyone, just let, let's not let's yeah. be let's say nice words to each other. Right. It, it is confrontational. And it exposes violence in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. you know, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I guess I guess what I was responding to is that I don't think Driscoll <laughs> is taking aim at the neutered Jesus no. depiction in Italy. He's taking aim at uh, what he sees as, you know, progressive right. Christians in America who right. are advocating for a way of peace. And yes. he's seeing that as wimpy Jesus who right. I could beat up, right? A, lo- a loving Jesus who who embraces people in the yeah, LGBT, LGBTQ exactly. plus community and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, ultimately what this brings to mind and helps us to think through is how do you engage with the world today, especially mm-hmm. a, a world that's war-torn, that's as divisive as it's right. ever been? Right. What is What has that looked like for you? How is that showing up in your context now? So my context is the Twin Cities. So it's been popping the last few years. <laughs> yeah. uh, I remember, you know, that night um, when um, I was scrolling through my phone way too late at night mm. and a video popped up in my newsfeed of a man being um, suffocated to death by a police officer. Mm-hmm. And I stared at that video for like a, like a good 30 minutes. Yeah. And I was like, I remember praying like, oh my God, Lord, like what's going to happen? You know, it was, it was a turning point for me. And the next morning I got up and something felt different. Yeah. It felt like the world had changed. And um, it was the only thing I could think about. I I, all I could think about was like, that happened maybe 10 minutes from my house. Right. Wow. Wow. That happened. Like, like I could just jump on the interstate and be there in 10 minutes. And like, and like I work with teens, I, so I, I didn't say I didn't say this part earlier, but like I work with teenagers who are on probation, so court-involved um, teens who are in a deferment program so that they don't have to go to juvie, right? Mm, yes. Um, and a lot of the teens that I work with have had encounters with the police here in Minneapolis and St. Paul, uh, similar to that of George Floyd. You know, yeah. they they all have stories yeah. of being of being brutalized. Um, and it was a turning point for me in my philosophy of engagement, because I knew immediately, I can't sit this out. Mm. This is not just, um, a philosophical difference of opinion, right? This hits home in a real tangible way. And so I just began to prepare myself for, um, for protest for like, what, what is my role as a minister, as a follower of Jesus, in leading my congregation and other congregations, and just leading in general, um, a way of resistance. So I began looking for this is this is kind of the 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 sad part of the story, um, in terms of like engagement, right? Mm. Is that I I was looking for examples in the mm. Twin Cities, like like who can I team up with, who can I partner with, and like there just wasn't a lot, 
There wasn't wow. a lot to choose from. I remember there was one minister who like um, promoted a pastor's gathering, like a pastor's protest uh, down at the down at the third precinct or wherever it was. And when I got there, it was nothing. Mm. It was nothing. It was not, it was not organized. It was it was a loose cadre of uh, of pastors just kind of mowing around. Yeah. Now later, later when things got a little bit more organized there was a really powerful silent march organized by um by black ministers mm, and I, yeah. I found myself really drawn to uh the leadership of the black church here in the mm. twin cities they did an amazing job mm. in fact one of the things that i heard from people outside the twin cities was like oh you know the protests in the twin cities are so violent mm. they're so you know they're they're um they're riots yeah. and they're mobs. There's all this like vitriol being poured out on the Twin Cities. I yep. was there, like I was literally <laughs> there in the crowds. And mm. I'm this is this is my first hand experience. Are you ready? Yeah. I was there in the crowds, and black men were calling on huge crowds to kneel down and pray. Wow. At these protests. And then these black leaders, these Christian black leaders were saying please don't commit any violence. Yeah. Don't do anything that would besmirch or discredit this protest. Yeah. Then they were saying things like, and this was like, oh my God. They were like, if you see trash laying around, pick <laughs> it up, throw mm. it away. Like we mm. don't want to leave any impression that we are here for any other reason than justice. Yeah. I was blown away. What I did see with my own eyes was I saw people in the crowds who were not were obviously not there for the right reasons. Yeah. They were dressed in full like combat equipment. Right. They had like weapons hanging from their belts, yes. you know? And these were not the guys that were with with the protesters. Mm. They didn't have signs. They weren't kneeling with us when we were kneeling and praying. They weren't chanting. They were just there like on a mission, a separate yeah. mission. Yeah. And they were overwhelmingly, if not entirely white men. White, right? White. That's yeah. that's that's a much more entertaining story to tell though, TC. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's like, if you can capture the outlier who's going to ruffle things up and, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's what they're going to capture. That's the story they want to tell. In fact, I'll tell you this, just the other day, I don't remember the guy's name, but a man was convicted here in Minnesota of shooting, of firing upon the police precinct that burned down. Mm. He was convicted and on the radio, they said he was a member of the Boogaloo Boys. The Boogaloo Boys is a white supremacist organization. Wow. It comes from the idea, th th this is really kind of in the weeds, but they want a second civil war. Wow. And they call that second civil war, civil war two electric boogaloo as a joke. And then the joke became the name. Okay. So the boogaloo is a second civil war. They are a Whoa. white supremacist organization. And he was there shooting at the police precinct. I can tell you from firsthand experience, nobody else was shooting at the precinct. Wow. There were people with signs. There were people kneeling, people chanting, wow. people passing out water but nobody man. was shooting man that's so wild yeah oh there's so much there yeah um makes me think about so it it makes me think about overall 
the idea of what I've heard you talk about in recent days, and I've started to read the first few chapters of your book that you're working on <laughs> that I'm so excited about that everyone's going to have to keep their eyes open for. Um, but they'll get to hear you four or five more times before that comes out on here. Um, um, but the gospel of this, like the way that people internalize an announcement or, yeah. or um, because that's ultimately, it's like a proclamation, right? And there's so many voices. There's so many proclamations. There's so many gospels. There's so many different versions of stories that in this world today, it's so hard to know which one is true. People are, are so like their heads are spinning with all the information, all the proclamations that are getting thrown at them. And I find that you're like, it seems to me like a lot of your mission has always been to like distill this thing down to a simpler pill to swallow. Like let's, it's actually not as complicated as we think. Here's what it means. Yeah. And I've so appreciated that about you, your public witness, what you've been to for me that way. So I just needed to say like, that made me think about, there's all this stuff going on. People selectively choose this white supremacist and these white guys that, you know, they become the story rather than the real proclamation, which is right. justice for this horrific thing that was done to this man. Yeah. So I can, I can tie this back to Anabaptism too. The Anabaptists by their refusal to go along with the conflation of church and state right mm. by opting out of that system and and the name anabaptist is a is a pejorative label that they were given because yeah. they baptized again yeah. anabaptist Re and that baptism again was a way of saying we are allegiant to jesus not the state which baptized us as babies yes and assimilated us into their political system right? right so by by virtue of that stance that allegiance to jesus stance they were saying that the gospel is inextricably political yes right you cannot separate following jesus being a disciple of jesus being allegiant to jesus from saying no to the powers that be right. in other words if jesus is lord and i know this is a slogan but it's a true slogan. If Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. Right, right, right. And every Caesar, every Caesar is not. Yeah, every Doesn't Caesar. Doesn't matter if it's a democratic right? Caesar yeah. or a dictator Caesar. Yeah, but right? I think what you say, though, about it being inherently political makes people have to wrestle with when a preacher, which I was often accused of, is bringing politics into the pulpit. Exactly. So this yeah. is another really kind of thorny issue that I, I take issue with. So yeah. So there's a difference between partisanship yes, right. and politics, yeah, and people sure. have conflated the two. So oftentimes in colloquial terms, people will say, you're getting political. And what they mean is you're getting partisan. Partisan, yeah. Right, but, but there's, there's a difference between partisan politics mm. and the politics that comes from the word polis, which is yeah. how we structure ourselves, how we organize ourselves in society. Right. And you cannot take, you cannot read any part of scripture mm. and take away from it an apolitical view. No, right. Every part of scripture is embedded in a particular social system, right? right? Take Daniel, for example. Mm. I mean, the, the setting of Daniel is Babylon. Mm. <laughs> I, I mean, know, it doesn't right. get more political than that. No. The setting of the gospels is, is in the shadow of the empire of right. Rome. right. It it's is everywhere. It really is. And to like, 
it's really helpful that you can't like that you frame it that way the difference between partisan and politics because literally everything we do in public is political i mean exactly. now everything we do in private seems to be as well because we're, <laughs> we can this will be out on the internet for the world to see you know everything is political yeah. and to embrace that is to know that whatever you choose whether it's religion a, a party that you follow you name the thing it's going to have societal implications Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope this conversation inspired some new thoughts within you. If it did, feel free to share them with me on any of those social media outlets. Uh, But until next time, peace, my friends.